0: Chapter two, John chapter two. John is one of the easiest books in the Bible to find. You kind of flip to the middle, and you go a little bit further. It's the fourth book in your New Testament. John chapter two. I don't know about you, but I just feel like in the atmosphere, I just feel like you guys are a proactive church today. Is that do I do I, do I, do I sense that right? Am I, am I getting that right? I just sense that you know you guys and eleven thirty for some reason you guys tend to be uh, the, the loudest crowd, uh, and that's just because you love Jesus. You're proactive. You're not allowed. You're, you're not afraid to say amen even before the pastor says if you believe that say amen amen you're not afraid to shout out loud to god give god a big shout in this place come on amen you're not afraid to respond you're you're not afraid to take notes you're not afraid to sit in the front Uh, you're not afraid to do those things because you're hungry for god and we're proactive Uh, and so let's be proactive as we worship jesus together and as we get in the words of god together as well amen amen here we go got a proactive church here in this place we're doing a series here at thrive it's called greater everyone say greater And this series is all about stepping into a greater version of yourself, a more resilient version of yourself, a more patient version of yourself, a wiser version of yourself, a more loving version of yourself, a more effective version of yourself. And, you know, we've been going through the series for four weeks now. We're sort of in the middle of the series. Have you guys enjoyed the series so far? It's talking about how do you have greater wisdom to face the decisions you have to face in the next little bit, how do you have greater peace about the stuff you're going through right now, this is the series called Greater, and I thought, you since we're kind of in the middle of the series now, I thought that we'd uh, teach you guys something that uh, hopefully you'll find kind of fun, all right, and kind of cute, is that we don't do this for every series, in fact, this is the first time we've ever had a hand gesture for a series, for a sermon series, but this is our hand gesture right now, it's like this, all right. All right? Can, can you just show that to me? All right? Okay. And, and, and when uh, when you do this, uh, Michael, why don't you come up real quick? M- Michael, okay. Can you give Michael a big hand right now? He wasn't planning to do this. But I, I'll, just, I'll just demonstrate with this guy right now. And so when you go like this to someone else, what does this mean? This is not just rock, paper, scissors. But uh, this is saying, hey, because the, like the, the book of Philippians in the New Testament says you want to consider others better than yourself. Amen? You want to serve others, put them before you, consider not just your own interests but also the interests of others. So when I do this uh, here at Thrive, this means uh, you're better than me. Amen? amen amen okay all right you can do it back to me do it back to me yeah okay good good okay yeah yeah this this, this is a good photograph right here yeah okay yeah okay Uh, and then if i had another person on my my side i could do it this way don't don't make sure you don't get it make sure you get it right make sure it's this way and not this way okay okay because that's the opposite you're saying i'm better than you but that's not what you want to say you want to say you're better than me could you just try that with your neighbor right now just go say, say say you're better than me You're better than me. We're just putting each other first. Amen? Amen? How do you do? That's you're better than me to a person. How do you do that when it comes to God? You're greater than I am. How do you do that? How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. All right. Can we do that all together right now? Yeah? Okay. Awesome. Praise God. Come on. Give God a big shout in this place. Thank you, Michael, as well. Awesome, you guys are so much fun. Uh, you know, so whenever you're doing that, uh, you know, when, when I used to live in Taiwan, people would always kind of do this in pictures. Now this has meaning. It's not just peace sign, it's now God is greater. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So look forward to your photos and your selfies later on today. Uh, but praise God. We're doing a series here called Greater, and we've had an amazing time going through this series. Today I've got a powerful addition to the series that I don't think you want to miss. Uh, let me begin today by asking you this question. Have you ever been to a wedding before? Thank you so much, Hans. If you've have you ever been to a wedding, wedding before, where you go to the wedding and things don't quite happen the way that you expect. Has that ever happened before? Maybe it was your own wedding. Maybe it was the wedding of someone, uh, like a friend or a relative. You were invited to the wedding, and things didn't quite go uh, as you expected. Maybe, I don't know, like maybe the ring got lost. I've been to a couple weddings where that happened. Uh, Maybe the the, the groom went to the wrong church. Maybe that's happened before. Maybe, you know, the the, the bride's dress got caught on fire. I don't know. But the, the fact is this, is I've been to a lot of very interesting weddings, but there's none like my own wedding. There's none, of course, for myself, there's nothing like my own wedding. When Pastor Charlene and I got married 15 years ago, uh, I still remember that day like it was yesterday. It was one of the happiest days of my life. Uh, what happened was uh, I remember I was standing at the front of the aisle of the church, and I remember thinking to myself all throughout that week, thinking to myself, man, you know, this is our wedding day. We worked so hard to get to this point, and this is going to be an emotional day for Charlene. You know, she's, she's you know, going to be emotional. I need to be the man. I need to be like a rock for her. I need to be her shoulder to cry on. I got to be her strong support and just let her, you know, you know just be you know, emotional when she needs to be emotional. And, and so I thought, you know, that, that's my goal. And so I'm standing there in my tux and, you know, looking good, I hope. And, and I'm just kind of look, getting ready for this wedding. And all of a sudden the music plays and the doors open. Charlene is there arm in arm with her father-in-law. And is there crying? Yes, there's crying. Is there weeping? Yes, there's weeping. But it was all coming from me. She wasn't crying. Well, she was crying a little bit, but I was crying a lot, and it's just because I'm looking at Charlene as she's walking down the aisle. I'm thinking of how you know how long it's taken us to get to this point, and the journey we've gone through. I was thinking about just all the love we have for one another, and the love of the people around us, and this couldn't help but get emotional. I started to cry. Uh, I was crying during the ceremony. I was crying during the reception, and, and uh, in fact, this is a picture of uh, one of those moments right now, actually. Um, and, and the, the worst part of it was this, is that we had this video uh, production team that we'd hired to kind of film and record the entire wedding, and then we'd kind of put it all together in this five-minute recap video of the day, and when I was looking at the video, I thought to myself, man, why is it that every shot of me is of me crying? <laughs> Every single one, and I thought to myself, the worst part was that you know there were a number of relatives that Charlene is very close to who could not make it to the wedding in Taiwan, and uh, we, we got married in Vancouver, and so we sent the video to them. I could just imagine what they're thinking. They're like, man, I've never met Charlene's husband before, but man, he loves to cry. Oh, he's such a crybaby. And see, so, you know, what I tell, them? because I wasn't planning on crying that day. It was a wedding where something happened that didn't quite go as planned. Why do I mention that today? It's because today, in John chapter 2, we're looking at a day when Jesus attends a wedding. And at this wedding, things don't quite go as planned. Now, you've got to understand this about weddings in Jesus' day. You know, today, if you're in a wedding in Vancouver, you're going to find that a wedding is usually a day. You know, you you go to a a, a ceremony, maybe in the afternoon, you have a reception at night, and it's really basically done after a day. Back in Jesus' time, I don't know if you know this, but weddings lasted seven days. Seven-day celebrations. And what they would do is they would have a ceremony at the beginning, but for the next six days, they would have the bride and the groom, you know, up in their house— and they would invite the family, they'd invite all the guests, to basically have a seven-day party with them. And so it was kind of like a wedding reception, a family reunion, a bachelor party, a bachelorette party, all kind of rolled into one for seven days. And there's a lot of partying, there's a lot of drinking, uh, there's a lot of eating, there's a lot of laughter, and it's just a big, huge party. And what happens is this, is that in the wedding that Jesus attends, it's in a little town called Cana, Pretty much because it's such a small town, uh, it's it's quite expected that possibly everyone in the town is invited, including Jesus. Uh, His disciples are there. Jesus' mother Mary is there. And while they are going through the wedding, everything seems to be going fine and as planned. When something happens that people don't expect is that they run out of wine. The servants are here they're to serve wine, and they're like, uh-oh, we ran out of wine. And you might be a oh, big deal. Open bars, closed. Not a big deal. But the fact is this. Back in Jesus' time, if you ran out of wine, that was a very embarrassing thing. Why? It's because if you ran out of wine and you were the one who was planning the wedding, it showed that you didn't plan well enough it showed that you didn't quite care enough about the guests to serve them properly. And so this was not a life or death situation, but it was an embarrassing situation. And praise God, because Jesus happens to be there, and look at what Jesus does. Look at John chapter 2. Now, i got to be uh, you know, very frank with you guys this morning. you guys get enough sleep this morning? You guys had an extra hour of sleep? Okay. i got, I got to be really frank with you guys. I didn't get very much sleep at all last night. I was, you know, excited about today, and I, I was, you know, working on this until about, you know, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And so I haven't had a whole lot of sleep. You guys got to help me preach in this place this morning. Is that okay? Is that okay? good? Okay. Praise God. So when we read God's word, you're going to do a lot better than 930 service, all right? Is that when we read God's word, the first verse and the last verse, you're going to read it with as much passion and with as much volume as you can. Amen. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So here we go. Here, let's go verse 1 to verse 11. Let's read in a big loud voice. 1, 2, 3. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars. The Used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, "Fill the jars with water." So they filled them to the brim. they told him, "Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet." They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said. Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. You guys did an awesome job. Give yourselves a big hand for reading God's word that way. Now, this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You may have heard it before. You may have not been to church very much, but maybe you've heard the story of Jesus turning water into wine. And I'm here to tell you today that this story is such a powerful story. This story is not simply a story of Jesus turning H2O into alcohol. But this story is a story that's packed with truth that you need to know if you want to step into a greater version of who you were made to be. Because let me tell you this. This is Jesus' very first miracle. And let me tell you this, with every miracle that Jesus performs, there is a lesson behind the miracle. And the lesson is not simply, oh, Jesus likes to show off, or Jesus is powerful. But usually, there's a deeper lesson behind it that we're going to learn about today. See, what is the lesson we learn from Jesus turning water into wine? The lesson is this, is that when you find that your supply in life is lacking, Jesus can come and replenish your supply. The lesson is that when you feel like you are running on empty and you've got nothing left to give, Jesus can come and fill you up again. The lesson is this, is that when you are facing a problem that you don't know how to solve, Jesus can come and give you everything you need. See, maybe you're here today and you find yourself lacking in some way this morning. Maybe you find you're lacking in resources. You're lacking in motivation. Maybe you're lacking in terms of purpose or direction when it comes to your future right now. Maybe you're lacking in terms of joy right now. You're just not having a really good time. Maybe you're lacking in terms of solution to a problem that you don't know how to solve right now. If that's you and you find yourself lacking in any way this morning, then I believe that this message is especially for you. This message has a very cool title. You can write it down. It's From Not Enough to Everything You Need. From Not Enough to Everything You Need. See, this message is about transitions. From feeling like you don't have enough to knowing you've got everything you need. It's about transitions. Everyone say transitions. It's about transitioning into the greater version of who God made it to be. It's about transitioning from, oh, I can't do this. I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes, to I've got everything I need by the power of God. And see, let me put it to you this way. Why is it that Jesus turns water into wine as his first miracle? Why is that? Have you ever wondered that? If you're Jesus and you could choose the next or the very first miracle you would ever do to kind of show the world I've arrived, would you choose turning water into wine? Isn't that kind of a small kind of miracle to do? Kind of like water, wine. Like, why, why, like is, is, that, is that really like the most important miracle? Why, why not raise the dead? Why do not heal the sick? Why not you know, give sight to the blind? Why, why start with water and wine? We've got to understand this. Let me give you one reason why Jesus started with water turned into wine. Let me tell you this. In the Old Testament, if you've ever read the book of Exodus or you've watched the film Prince of Egypt, you know that film? There can be miracles when you believe. You know that one? When you believe. And, then in, and that, I, I personally, I find the book is so much better than the film. Yeah. It, it really is. It really is. The film is okay, but the book is awesome. And, and, and the book is always better. And, and see, when you read the book, God sends a servant called Moses. Everyone say Moses. And he sends the servant Moses for a very special reason. He sends him to egypt because his people the israelites are slaves in egypt god sends his servant moses to deliver his people from a land of slavery and to be part of that process god sends his servant moses to do a miracle that uh is very very public and something that has to do with water as well and what is it it's turning water into blood not water into wine water into blood. And so everything in Egypt that has water turns into blood. Every cup on every table, every bucket on, every gra- on, on the ground, you know, every stream, every canal, even the Nile River that irrigates the land of Egypt, all of it, the, the Bible says, turns into blood. You know, it starts to stink. The fish die in the river, and there's no more water supply. It's as if through this miracle, the supply of water has been taken away. And what is that signal? It's a message of judgment. It's a message of destruction. It's a message of death, even. And see, that's the Old Testament. When you fast forward to the New Testament, you see Jesus now. And God has sent Jesus Christ in a similar fashion to rescue his people from slavery. And it's a slavery to sin. It's a slavery to fear. And Jesus is now going to perform the very first miracle. And what's the very first miracle he does? It's something to do with water as well. But it's not turning water into blood. It's turning water into wine. And see, what does that mean? It means that whereas Moses came and brought a message of judgment, Jesus has come to bring a message of joy. Whereas Moses came to bring a message that speaks to death, Jesus brings a message of life. Whereas Moses came to bring a message of destruction to some extent, Jesus came to bring a message of restoration. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Now, you might be asking yourself, like, why such a big change? It's the same God who sent both Jesus and Moses. Why is he treating these two things so differently? And, and you, is, is God, you know, like, does he, did he have a mood change? Was he in a good mood in the New Testament? He's in a bad mood in the Old Testament? What, what, why the change? Let me tell you why the change. It's all because of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. See, the Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us have decided, I'm going to do things my way, not God's way. We've turned our backs on God. And the Bible says that the, what we deserve in return for our sin is what we call death and separation from God. We deserve judgment. We deserve death. We deserve destruction for the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But see, how many of us know that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, a great exchange took place is that all the judgment, the death, and destruction that we deserve for our sin was placed on Jesus. And Jesus took his joy, his life, his restoring power, and he placed it on us so that we would no longer be in death, but we could enjoy life and life to the full. Come on, give Jesus a big hand and a big shout in this place. That's what he did for you and for me. It's a message of joy. i wouldn't say joy. And see, we see the beginnings of that in this passage, John chapter 2, where Jesus is turning water into wine. It's not because of judgment, it's because of joy. And see, because Jesus turned water into wine, what that means is that Jesus makes available to you and to me a greater life than what you have right now. He makes available to you and to me a greater joy than what you have right now. Jesus g- g- makes available to you and me a greater supply than what you may have right now. It's because Jesus is in the business of making all things new, and that's why he is the name above every name. Now, here, let me tell you this right now. Is if you want to transition from not having enough, to having everything that you need, if you want to experience this greater life that Jesus makes accessible, if you want to experience this greater joy that Jesus makes available, if you want to experience him working in your life, then what you need to do is three things that we learned from this passage this morning that we're going to go into right now. I hope you take some good notes in this place because the best is yet to come. Number one, write this down. If you want to go from not having enough to having everything you need by the power that is in Jesus. The number 1 is this, invite Jesus into every situation where you know there is a lack. Invite Jesus. Turn your and say invite Jesus. See it all begins with inviting Jesus. Look at John chapter 2 verse 2 with me. Could you read in a big loud voice what does it say? It says, "And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding." If you have your Bibles in front of you, will you underline this one word which is invited? Everyone say invited. See, let me ask you this question. In this story, who were the ones who experienced that very first miracle of Jesus turning water into wine? It was those who invited Jesus. Right? Not the whole town saw it. It was those who invited Jesus as well as a few of the close people around them. What's the lesson there? Is that if you want Jesus' involvement in your life, you need to give Jesus an invitation to your life. See, without An invite, there's very little involvement. Without Jesus, there's very little miracle. There's involvement, but it requires an invitation. Everyone say, an invitation. Now, I want you to notice this. Like I said before, water into wine is not a life or death situation. Sure, you know, you know it's a bit embarrassing, but no one's going to die because there's not enough wine. The fact is this. Why would Jesus get involved in something small like this? I already told you one reason. Let me tell you another reason. Do you know why Jesus would get involved in something as small as turning water into wine at a wedding? It's because it shows his willingness to get involved in the details of your life is that there is no issue in your life that is too small for Jesus. Jesus even says, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Amen. Amen. It just means that Jesus is concerned about you. He loves you. Turn to and say, God loves you. He loves you, and so he's concerned about what you're concerned about as well. And so wherever you invite Jesus, he loves to be there. He's not going, oh, you know what, this is not important enough for me. I'm too important for this issue, so please don't involve me. Jesus won't do that to you. And in fact, you will find this, I find this, is that wherever you invite Jesus, Jesus loves to make his presence felt. You know, if you invite Jesus into your home, Jesus loves to make his presence felt in your home. If you invite Jesus into your marriage, Jesus loves to make his presence felt in your marriage. Do if you invite Jesus into that decision-making process that you're in right now, Jesus loves to make himself known in that decision-making process. If you are involved Jesus and invite Jesus into that struggle, that secret struggle that you're going through right now, Jesus loves to make his presence known. There is no issue too small for Jesus that you can't invite him to. It's because Jesus loves you. Turn him and say, Jesus loves you. You know, and I found, I, I found this over and over in my life, is that whenever I invite Jesus to come in and be involved in a certain area of my life, I find only good things happen. You know, I, I, many of you guys know, uh, some of you guys know, don't, but you, know, you, you guys know that when I was a teenager, I struggled a lot with a really unhealthy self-image where I was very obsessed with my physical appearance. I was a chubby kid growing up, and as I gr- got more and more self-conscious and more and more aware of how people looked at me and how I looked in the mirror, it was one of those things where I was quite obsessed with my physical appearance. I was always considering like, how, you know, how many calories I was eating, you know, you know, how much I was exercising, how much fat I could pinch off of my stomach, and I was, you know, it was almost to the point of an eating disorder. And it was one of those things where it wasn't until I invited Jesus Christ to come and to deal with that area of my life, and I won't share with you in detail how he did it, some of you guys know, but in a very powerful personal way, he changed and moved in my life such that I've never been the same again. It's because it all begins with inviting Jesus. You know, there, there's another thing. You know, in my marriage with Pastor Charlene, we've been married for 15 years now. And let me ask you, I mean, Charlene is amazing. Uh, I think I'm pretty cool as well. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and is it, but, but, you know, two cool people married together. Uh, do we still get into arguments from time to time? Yeah, we do. Oh, yeah, we do. It's just, it's just part of being married. And I find this, is that in those times when we do get into arguments, in those times when there is a conflict, I often find that the turning point from us not getting along to getting along again, is when one of us prays, not out loud to the other person, but when one of us goes into the car and we just pray, God, would you please help us? Or Jesus, we need you here. Jesus, I invite you to help us. Please help us to reconcile. Please help us to work it out. And I just find it's just so funny how so often after we pray and invite Jesus to come in, how quickly we can turn back and be good again. It's because there's power in inviting Jesus into any area of your life. If you believe us. say amen. When it comes to preaching the word of God here at Thrive, I've stopped counting the number of times when there will be a week when I'm getting ready to, to stand on the stage and, and give you guys a message that I hope will encourage you, challenge you, lead you to Jesus. And, and there'll be times when I'll be going through the week and I'll have no idea what to say to you guys. I'll have no clue. And I'll, I'll even tell God, God I've got no idea. I've got nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And, and But then, you know what happens? Something amazing happens when I sit down in that place where I love to spend my daily time with God, and I would say, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I need you. I invite you to come and show me what you want me to say. And sometimes right away, and sometimes over a process of a couple of days, all of a sudden I'll start to get these ideas of what we need to talk about. All of a sudden, I'll, a, a message will almost like unfold before me, and it becomes this process where I feel like I'm pregnant now with a message. And it's not always comfortable because, you know, pregnancy is not comfortable, but you, you feel like something wants to come out. And, and now you're kind of chiseling at it and kind of, you know, working away at it until you, you get a work of art there. And, and, and this is what I find is that every week almost, I feel like I get to experience a little bit of Jesus turning water into wine. And, and as a result, hopefully you find that there's something, like a bit of God's presence and a bit of God's miraculous power that you experience whenever we get into the word of God together. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Because Jesus is amazing. You will, always, you will always find he loves to get involved where he is invited. And my question for you today is this. Is there an area of lack in your life today where you need to invite Jesus? Is there an area where you're lacking joy? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's wisdom you're lacking for a decision you have to make. I want to tell you this, is invite Jesus into that situation. See, whenever I have face a big challenge nowadays the habit for me that I'll just I'll just kind of do automatically Jesus I invite you into the situation Jesus come and be part of this solution right now come and help us in the situation it's because when you say Jesus I need you please come and help he loves to answer your invitation if you invite Jesus in he'll make his presence felt his presence will overcome your worry his peace will overcome your anxiety his love will overcome your fear if you believe that say amen turn neighbor give him have him say, invite Jesus in. Invite Jesus in. What area of your life today is there that you need to invite Jesus in? Don't, don't just kind of move on to the next point. Let, let, just think about that today. What is one area, even just right now, where you have to say, Jesus, I invite you into that, into that relationship that's not going well right now. I invite you into that uncertainty about my future that's going on right now. Don't stop, but invite Jesus in. Is that helpful in this place? Number two, write this down. If you want to go from not having enough to having everything you need, then I want you to do this one more thing, is don't try to control Jesus. Instead, recognize Jesus' authority over you and your situation. Turn to the neighbor and say, don't try to control Jesus. See, look at John chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. Can you read that with me in a big, loud voice? 1, 2, 3, it says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. See, what's going on? Mary, who's Jesus' mother, is at this wedding. When she finds out, oh, there's no more wine, she decides she wants to take charge. She comes up to her son. She kind of just nudges him. Jesus. 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 There's no more wine. Do something. Do something. And see, that, that, that's what Mary is doing right now. She's, she's trying to control Jesus. Do something. And, and, you know, Jesus' response, don't you find it really interesting? Jesus' response, when you read it, it almost sounds a bit rude, doesn't it? What does he say? He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I know we all want to be like Jesus. E stands for expectant means we're here to grow into Christ like disciples. It's true. But guys in this place, don't use this phrase with your mom without thinking. Right? If your mom asks you to take out the garbage, I would not suggest that you say, woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Or if you're married and your wife says, hey, honey, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm really just like, I'm really sore right now. Could you please give me a massage? Please don't say woman. Why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Or say say you're working and your boss comes up to you is a bit on your case, well, hello, there's a report that's been due. When am I gonna get it? Please don't go to them and say, woman. Why do you involve me? My time has not yet come, especially if your boss is not a woman. Please do not say that. Please. Don't say it. And And th- th- this is the thing. Before you use that phrase, you need to understand why Jesus uses that phrase. See, first got to recognize that when Jesus says woman, it's not a derogatory put down. It's not him saying, what you talking about, woman? He's not, he's not saying that. He's not doing, it's, it's, a, it's a term of respect. It was a a respectful, loving way for Jesus to address his mom. In fact, if you fast forward to John chapter 19, it's not on the screen, but if you go to fast fast forward to John chapter 19, and Jesus is now dying on the cross. It's the last day of his life before his resurrection. His mom is standing there with his disciple John, and you know how Jesus addresses his mom on that day, in that moment, as he's hanging from a cross? These are his last words to her. He says, woman, and he goes on to say what he has to say. See, in other words, Jesus was being loving. Jesus was being respectful. Jesus was being polite. Jesus was being kind. And see, I want you to notice this. Jesus was loving, kind, respectful, and nice to his mom on a normal, ordinary day in a frustrating situation at a wedding just as much as he was on the last day of his life. And see, it's a reminder that we need to speak lovingly, respectfully, and tenderly to those around us. Not just on special occasions when it's their last day on earth, or it's your last day on earth, but on every ordinary day, even in those situations where you might feel a little frustrated and a little awkward. Amen? Amen? And see, let me ask you this question then. When you think about this past week and the way you've been speaking to people, the way you've been texting people, the way you've been talking about people, the way you've been writing emails to people, have you done so lovingly respectfully tenderly or have you not really even thought about that. See, when speaking to another, whether it's in an email or it's in a Facebook message or it's in person, let's speak the way that Jesus speaks. Let's speak lovingly to our church leaders. Let's speak lovingly to our parents. Let's speak lovingly to our friends. Let's speak lovingly to our kids. Let's speak lovingly to our spouse. Because when you do that, it'll save you so much trouble in your relationships and your relationships will be so much sweeter as a result. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Turn your neighbor. Turn your neighbor give him a high five and say I'm going to speak tenderly to you. I'm going to speak tenderly to you cuz that's what Jesus does as well. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You're greater than me. Amen. Praise God. The second thing you got to recognize about what's going on in this exchange between Jesus and his mother is this. Is that Jesus and Mary are both in a time of transition. Everyone say transition. See, up to this point, you've got to recognize, Jesus has not done his first miracle yet. Jesus has not preached his first sermon yet. Jesus is right now just on the cusp of starting his public ministry. And up to this point, Jesus is basically an unknown guy who's been living under the authority of his mom. They say his father may have already passed away by this point, and so it's his mom who's in control. His mom would say, Jesus, do this, and he would do it. Go take out the trash, Jesus would do it. Go do your homework, Jesus would do it. Jesus was under the authority and control control of mary his mom but now in john chapter 2 we're coming to a transition it's almost like a crossroads where jesus is now coming to his own as a man as a minister as a public figure and a transition is taking place where instead of being under the control of his earthly mom he's now starting to be under the control of his heavenly father And see, you got to understand, now Jesus is transitioning. It's a reminder to parents here in this place is that if you want your children to become everything that God made them to be, there will come a day when you need to release control of your children into the care of their Heavenly Father. Instead of trying to control everything that they do, you're not going to date until you're 85 years old when no one wants to date you, right? Or, or you're, 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 you're not going to go to that school. You're not going go to this school. You're not going to do it. And, and you just kind of control everything until they are like 30, 50 years old. No, see, God at some point is going to say, it's time to relinquish control. Otherwise, they'll never grow up to become who God made them to be. And all the kids in this place said, amen, amen, amen. You know, for example, yesterday, I was having this conversation with my six-year-old son, Bradley. Um, and uh, Bradley said this very, uh, this very cool thing to me. He said, daddy, six years old. He said, Daddy, when I get married, I'd like to invite you to my wedding. And I said, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And he said, and Daddy, when I get married, I want to invite Mommy too. I'm like, okay, that, thank you. Thank, that's very nice of you to do that, yeah. And, and Daddy, at, the, at my wedding, I want to save a seat for you. I'm like, oh, thank you. At the front row, said, thank you so much. I thought to myself, why are we talking about this transition at six years old? I almost wanted to tell him, dear Bradley, why do you involve me? Your time has not yet come, you know, because the son was in transition. Can we give Bradley a big hand right now? He's just right there in the front. <laughs> and uh, the son was in transition in the same way in John chapter 2, the son of God, Jesus, he's in transition. But he's not the only one who's in transition. His mother Mary is in transition as well. See, for years, Mary was used to being in control of Jesus. He sa- she tells him what to do, he does it. But now, Mary has to transition. Mary has to learn to let Jesus have control over her now instead of the other way around. And for those of you who want to grow in your faith as a Christian, for those who want to grow in your relationship with God, this is such an important transition to make, which is instead of you trying to control Jesus, there'll come a time when you need to let Jesus take control of you. And see, my question for you this morning is this, are you trying to control Jesus? You'll be like, what, what, what? JP, I, I, no, no, like, I, I could never control Jesus. I can't control Jesus. Well, I'm not saying, can you control Jesus? I'm asking, are you trying to? And let me give you a few clues that maybe you're trying to control Jesus. You can write this down. Clue number one is you worry a lot. Is that you worry worry and stress about things that you can't control. You worry about your future. You worry about your relationships. You worry about your health. You worry about someone else's health. You worry about your work. You worry about all these different things. You worry about the parking space. You worry about how much money you have. You have worry about what you look like. You worry about all these things. And when you can't think of anything else to worry about, you worry about the fact that you don't have anything else to worry about. It's that you're just worrying all the time. And what's worry? Worry is a feeble, infinite attempt to try to play God when you can't. It's you trying to control stuff that only God can control, and you can't. Worry is an attempt to control God. If you worry a lot, then you've been trying to control Jesus. Another clue is you ask for God's help without asking for God's will. What does that mean? It means that you often ask God to bless you, to bless the things you want to do, but you don't ask him what he thinks. You'll be oh yeah, God! See that Ferrari? See that Maserati? Oh yeah, three hundred fifty thousand dollars? Oh yeah, I'm gonna go into all this debt together. Jesus, bless me, bless me, bless me, (laughs) bless me. And, and and or oh look at that girl oh she's so hot I am gonna be with her I want I want oh Jesus bless me bless me I don't care what her character's like I don't care you know if she you know d- doesn't d- like I, I don't care if she like, doesn't love God she doesn't just doesn't even know who you are I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do, oh, bless me God bless me bless me bless me bless me and you don't think about okay God what do you want me to do see if that's you in this place then you could be very well trying to control Jesus because you're treating him not as Lord not as king, not as the one that you obey, but the one you expect to bless you no matter what. And see, if you're trying to do that, guess what? That's controlling Jesus. God is not our heavenly vending machine. He's our heavenly father. Amen. Clue number three, you insist on doing things your way regardless of what God says. Regardless of what God says, is that deep down you know what God wants you to do Maybe he knows you want, he wants you to make a change to that relationship or to quit that bad habit or to confess that sin to that person or to forgive that person who hurt you or to you know, start putting God first in a certain area maybe when it comes to your time or to your talents. Or, you know, you, but but you still, despite all those things, you're just like, you know what? I, I'm going to do things my way. I don't care what Jesus says. If that's you, guess what? You're trying to control Jesus. And guess what happens? If any of these clues applies to you today, then chances are you're trying to control Jesus. And when you control Jesus, you know what happens? You get anxious. You get frustrated. You feel like life is so far short of what you want to be, and you miss God's best for your life. Could it be? Could it be that the reason why you're so frustrated right now The reason why you have no peace about where you're at right now, the reason why you are anxious and you have panic attacks, the reason why you're so just depressed about life right now, could it be it's because you're trying to control Jesus? See, if so, if that's you, then like Mary, it's time to transition. It's time to transition from trying to control Jesus to letting Jesus take Control. Look at John chapter 2, verse 5, with me right now. Could you read with me in a big loud voice? What does it say? It says, His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. See, all of a sudden, Mary gets it. In the middle of this wedding, God has taught her such an important lesson, which is, I got to stop trying to control my son because he's more than my son now. He's the son of God. I need to stop trying to control him. I need to let him take control so she gets it she tells the servants hey servants (coughs) servants you do whatever he tells you to do could you do that and you know what happens is she's relinquishing control and see what is she doing she's saying you know what i used to be trying to control jesus not anymore jesus is in control now in the same way maybe you've been trying to be jesus's controller and it's time to transition say no Jesus, you're in control now. Here's a question for today. What area of your life today, your relationships, your finances, the way you live your life right now, is you, are you needing to recognize Jesus as the one who's in control and you not anymore? What area in life do you need to stop telling God what you think he should do and start letting God do what he wants you to do? If you want to transition from not having enough, To having everything you need. It's about stop trying to control Jesus and let Jesus be who he's always meant to be the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of every Lord. He is the one who deserves all authority in heaven, on earth, and so we want to live it that way. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. And when you live life that way, when you seek God's kingdom first, guess what? Life becomes peaceful, life becomes joyful life becomes something where you still go through troubles, but you find you've got everything you need. Praise God. Are you learning something in this place today? Last thing, we're going to close. Number three, if you want to go from not having enough to having everything you need, number three, write this down. Trust Jesus to make all things beautiful in his way and in his time. Turn to the neighbor and say, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Would you read with me? You guys have been awesome today. John chapter 2, verse 5. I'm going to read just a few verses there. John chapter 2, verse 5. What does it say? It says, read it with me. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Keep on reading. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Stop right there. See, what is going on is that Mary stops controlling Jesus and lets Jesus be. So Jesus... He sits at the banquet. He waits. And when the time comes, when the father says, son, it's time. Jesus gets up, and he goes to where the servants are, goes to the back room. There's these six water jugs that people use for washing their hands before they eat a meal. And he says, hey, guys, how's it going? Thanks for all your hard work. Really appreciate you guys. I want to do something with you guys today. Could you do this? You see these six water jars right here? The ones we use for washing hands. Could you fill these with water, please? Please fill these with water. And and, and 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 that's all he says. That's all he says, right? Notice he doesn't say, "Hey guys, would you fill these up with water?" After you do that, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to subvert the laws of chemistry and I'm going to turn H2O into alcohol and then we're going to turn it into wine. You're going to take it to the master ceremonies. The master service is going to be so impressed. You're going to have more wine for everybody to drink. He doesn't say any of that. All he says is, fill these jars with water. And what does that teach you? Is that sometimes when it comes to trusting Jesus, you got to know this. Jesus will not always show you the entire picture. Jesus will not always give you the whole picture before he asks you to take a first step. And that's what Jesus is trying to do with these guys. If you want to see Jesus do a miracle, it's about learning to trust him step by step. Even if you don't have a full picture of what's going on, that's called trusting. Amen. Do you know why the Psalms say, your word is a lamp to my feet? Let me show it to you. Why why does the Bible say, your word is a lamp to my feet? Imagine if there's just a light that's just on my feet and just in front of it. It's because sometimes the way God leads is he doesn't show you everything. If he showed you everything, you'd be scared to death. If he showed you everything, there would be no faith. If he showed you anything, there would be no adventure. If he showed everything, he w- there would be no room for risking. And that's why it says the word, your word, is a lamp to my feet. It's because sometimes Jesus, what he shows you, is just the next step. You know, when, when you know, Charlene and I were living in Taiwan, and uh, I was having a great time, and we thought, okay, we'll be here for nine months to a year, and about nine months uh, transpired already, and I was starting to pray about, okay, what's the next step for us? And I really wanted to go back to Vancouver. I thought, you know, I'm going to make more money there, it's more comfortable there, all that so I really wanted to go back. I really wanted to go back. But for some reason, you know, at that time in my life, I was, you know, I was very much controlling Jesus. You know, like, you know, I, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Jesus bless this plan. But, you know, I, I somehow I had the wherewithal to just maybe ask God for a moment in time, God, what do you think I should do? And I decided to take just like a few days just to pray about this. And you know what's funny? When I would ask God the question, God, should we stay in Taiwan or leave for Vancouver? I want to present the two options to God. Every time I pray and ask that question, Jesus would always say, the Holy Spirit would always say, stay. One word, stay. And as much as I didn't like the answer, there was an incredible amount of peace about that answer. But you know what? The part that kind of just kind of, you know, was a little bit uncertain for me is that's all he said. He didn't say, stay for another three years. You're going to be serving at this current church. That current church is going to send you and Pastor Charlene off with another team that's going to plant Torch Covenant Church in downtown Taipei. You're going to continue working here for another three years, and then you're going to be sent off to come back to Vancouver to start Thrive Church and be the pastors there. No, we didn't know any of that. All I got was stay. That was all. And see, I found this. If you insist on knowing everything before you take a first step, if you insist on knowing everything before you even open up your heart to Jesus, if you insist on knowing everything before you get into a pool of water and get baptized, if you insist on knowing everything and seeing everything, you know what? You're never going to take a first step. And see, you're, and because there's no there's no faith involved anymore. There's no risk. There's no story. There's no adventure. What I what I want to tell you today is actually, if you want miracles to happen, where you see God take you from not having enough to having everything you need, there's a key ingredient in the recipe. It's called faith. It's called faith. You know, this past Halloween, all these fireworks going off. You know, in, in the in the neighborhood, in the background, and you know, you know how you you, you know, people who like to play with firecrackers, they light it. <laughs> Roman candles, big fireworks, all that stuff. And if if you want to compare miracles to fireworks, let me tell you, faith is what lights the firework. Faith ignites miracles. If you don't have faith, you don't have what what it takes to have a miracle. Because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, your Heavenly Father, loves to move in an atmosphere of faith. Amen. Amen. And so the servants... They hear Jesus say, fill these jars with water. Do they have questions? I'm sure they've got questions. I'm sure they're thinking to myself, Jesus, like, we are in the middle of a crisis right now. We don't have wine. We don't have time to be dealing with jars of water right now. Like, like, like I, we're, we're wasting time. We're lacking wine. And you want us to focus on this? That doesn't make any sense. But, but for some reason, despite their questions, they've got enough faith to do exactly what Jesus says. Do exactly What Jesus says. And so they do exactly what Jesus says, they fill the jars with water. And then what? guess what happens? John chapter 2, verse 8. What does it say? Read it with me. It says, verse 8 says, Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the Best till now. Stop right there. Stop right there. See, what can we learn from this? What we learn from this is that part of trusting Jesus Christ is realizing that Jesus will likely not do things in your time and in your way. But when you trust Jesus to work out the situation in his time and his way, his time and his way is so much better than your time and your way. Amen. Here's a question for you today What is one area of your life? where you need to trust Jesus to do things in his time and his way instead of trusting in your time and your way. Maybe it's in regards to a relationship. Maybe it's in regards to your family. Maybe it's in regards to your finances. Maybe it's in regards to your career. Maybe it's in regards to your health. Maybe it's in regards to your future. And see, you know, one of the stories that we tell... try to do it maybe once a year because it's, you know, we have a lot of new people come to church. And so it's important for them to know the story. It's also a good reminder for those who call through our church, the home church, that this is where their pastors kind of came from. When Pastor Charlene and I were dating back in 2001, uh, we didn't have Skype. We didn't have Facebook. And so what we would do is we would write to each other in this journal. We'd handwrite in this journal. And whenever we'd see each other, we'd give, you know, one would give the journal to the other and the other would write on it. And next time we saw each other, the other person would give the journal back. And sometimes we'd mail it across the border. Nowadays, we don't just mail it across the border anymore. We just kind of pass it across the bed. But we still use it to this day. And we just kind of write, you know, happy anniversary or, you know, you look cute today or whatever it might be. We'll just kind of pass it across the bed to one another. And if you look at our journal, in the back of the journal, there's a post-it note. And on that post-it note, you know, because both Charlene and I were big planners, we love to plan, love to plan. Just like, you know, try to organize our lives, you know, control freaks in many ways. And, and, and you know, we, we, we kind of planned out our next 10 years together. We called it the plan. Everyone say the plan. The plan. And on this little post-it note, we decided we we're going to plan out the next 10 years of our lives. And if you want a little excerpt of this journal, let me kind of show you a reconstruction of it. And we're just going to focus on these first two things right there don't worry about what happens actually but see the, the dates here from 2002 to 2004 the plan was that Charlene would be working in New York at her very prestigious investment banking position while I am also in New York doing my master's degree in law that was the plan okay everyone say the plan and then 2004, 2005, Charlene is now back in Vancouver. We're planning our wedding. Uh, we take a whole year to plan our wedding because I guess it was a very elaborate wedding. I'm not really sure. Uh, and we're married by July 2005. That's the plan. Everyone say the plan. 2005 to 2007, JB and Charlene are very happily living as newlyweds in Vancouver, enjoying life in Vancouver where the sun always shines and, you know, you know where the dog never poos and pees, all that stuff. You know, and, and that, that was the plan. Everyone say the plan. And then in July 2007, JB and Char would be involved in planting a church. I don't know why. But, you know, we had that desire to just kind of be part of you know, somewhere in the world where we could be part of planting a church. That was the plan. Everyone say the plan. And finally in 2009, at the, you know, this is the last part of our 10-year plan, JB and Char start a family, and they called their first son David. Yeah. Yeah, that was the plan. That was the plan. <laughs> Well, what actually happened, go back to that first slide, 2002 to 2004, the plan was Charlene would work in New York while I do my master's degree in law. What actually happened? Charlene resigns from her very prestigious investment banking job in New York, and in that same year, 2002, I never end up applying for my master's degree. 2004, 2005, the plan was Char was going to be back here planning our very elaborate wedding. We'd be married by July 2005. The actual thing that happened was we got married in 2003. Yeah, yeah. 2005, 2007, J.B. and Charlene are living their very comfortable life as new newlyweds in Vancouver. Well, actually what happened is that J.B. and Char moved to Taiwan and lived there for four years. That was not in the plan. July 2007, J.B. and Char plant a church. This is the part that's kind of interesting, is that in August of 2007, our church in Taiwan commissions us to come back to Vancouver to plant a church called Thrive Church, which is what you're in today. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, give God a big hand for that. That's cool. Finally, 2009, the plan was J.B. and Shar start a family and call their son David. But obviously, um, our time had not yet come. 2012 was when we had our firstborn son, and uh, he is our one and only Bradley. So uh, that's how things turned out. So different from the plan. You know, why do I share this with you? It's to show you that you can't control Jesus. Turn here and say, you can't control Jesus. You can't figure out everything beforehand before it happens. Charlene and I, we had a plan. We had the plan. We wrote it down. We prayed about it. We probably expected God to bless it, but Jesus would not be controlled by our plan. Instead, he allowed a bunch of things, big things to happen in our lives that we could have never expected. Influential people who really affected our lives in a great way that we never expected to meet. Tragedies that took place that devastated us that we never expected to happen. Opportunities that we never asked for. Lessons that we never expected to learn. All of these things just fell in our lap without us asking for them because Jesus had a greater plan and he used every single one of those things that we did not expect to mold us and to shape us into the people that he intended for us to be. And looking back, I can say that as much as so much of our plan, almost all of it didn't come to pass, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't bless our plan because he had such a better plan and a better way and a better time. Come on, give God a big shout in this place together right now. Turn your neighbor and say, God has a better plan. He makes everything beautiful in this time. And so if you're here and you're frustrated about your future because you can't figure it all out right now, you can't see except for one step in front of you right now, good news, you don't have to see beyond the one step in front of you right now. Just do your best with that one step that's in front of you. Just do your best with what God has already placed in your hand and what is out of your hand, don't worry about it. God is taking care of it. And because Jesus cares more about you than you even know, because Jesus cares more more about your future than even you do when you trust in God and you seek his kingdom first and you know that he's going to add everything that you need. He will do everything far beyond all you could ask for or imagine. Come on, give God a praise in this place. Come on. Amen. Turn neighbor and say, he's got a better plan. Has this been helpful this morning? Let me end with one final thing. Look at verse 10 with me. I know it's half of a sentence, but look at what we've been going and read it with me in a big, loud voice. You guys have been awesome this morning. One, two, three, it says, and said everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you've saved the best till now. You know, one thing I love about this passage is it shows us something incredibly cool about God is that God loves to save the best for last. He doesn't save his best work for the beginning, he saves it for the end. And that's why so often we stay here at Thrive, the best is yet to come. It's because God saves the best for last. And let me tell you this, the greater version of you that wants to rise up from you this coming year is not the version that insists on being in control. It's not the version that insists on controlling Jesus. It's not the version that insists on doing things in your time and in your way. The greater version of you that's wanting to rise up from you this coming year is the one that trusts in Jesus, his time, his way. It's the one that says, Jesus. I need you, and I invite you into this situation. It's the one that says, I'm going to stop trying to play God. I'm going to let God be God and do only what he can do. That's the greater version of you. And if you will step into that, if you will step in and invite Jesus, let him have control and trust him to work all things out and make them beautiful in his time and in his way, you know what's going to happen? You're going to transition. You're going to transition. From not having enough to having everything you need. You're in a transition from being where you are today to stepping into the greater version of who God made it to be. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big, st- big shout in this place together. Would you stand to your feet? Would you turn your neighbors on your right and your left, give them a high five and say, tell them right now that I got more than I need because Jesus is here. I got more than I need because Jesus is here. Amen. 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 Well, we're gonna respond to God today. What an awesome, awesome church you guys are. And let's believe the best is yet to come. Let's all sing the song together and we we'll respond to God in this place. I ask Rachel and the team to lead us in this song Today we've been talking about how to go from not having enough to having everything you need. And maybe you're here today and you find that your supply has been lacking. Maybe you've been lacking joy, lacking wisdom, lacking energy, lacking motivation, lacking direction for your life. Maybe you feel like you've been running on empty these days and you don't have much more to give. Maybe you feel like you've been facing a problem and you don't know what to do about it. I believe that the reason why God brought you here was to let you know that with Jesus and his help, you can transition from not having enough to having everything that you need. It happens when you invite Jesus into that situation. It happens when you say, God, I'm going to stop trying to control you. I'm going to let you be in control. It happens when you say, God, I'm going to trust you that you will do all things in your time, in your way, for my good and for his glory. And that's you today, and you realize there's a situation in your life where you stop trying to control Jesus and let Jesus take control. You want to invite Jesus into that situation. If that's you, why don't you just lift up your hand to God right now. Don't worry about your neighbor's doing. You just lift up your hand high to God. Let the height of your hands reflect your sincerity. Let the height of your hands reflect uh, your faith. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need God today and just from your heart right now in your own words just start talking to God today just say God I invite you into whatever situation is that he, you need him and his involvement today just start talking to God right now just start talking to God right now just lift your hands to God and lift up your voice if you don't worry about your neighbors praying or what they're saying you just start talking to God about your situation just say God I invite you into that situation God I let you have control I stop trying to control you I want you to be in control Jesus I give you control today just do that today. Just do that today. Just start talking to God now. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Want don't you pray this prayer with me right now? Say, dear Jesus, you know my situation. And right now, I invite you into it come and be the authority over my life and over the situation. Thank you that as I trust you you will work all things out for my good for your glory in your way and in your time. And because I trust you I can say the best is yet to come. Thank you In Jesus' name I pray. pray. Amen. Would you give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Come on.